we're starting a new sermon series called Tensions. And if you've ever heard me talk before, I, I think that truth is found in tension. And if you read the Bible, you'll see that um, there's, there's often is two things going on, and it's often hard to reconcile those two ideas. And so what we want to be able to do is highlight uh, a number of these over the coming few months and try to work through some of the uh, primary tensions that we see in the Bible, but I think really that we see in our lives. And so I think this is going to be meaningful for you, and I really look forward to, uh, to going through this with you. Today what we're going to be looking at, the first tension, is me and we. How do we reconcile this part of us that, uh, of our experience that says that my life in Christianity is obviously about me, yet there's a we involved, there's a community, and how do we bring together these two ideas? What we see in Scripture is a real emphasis on the we side, the community side. Over a hundred times in Scripture, we see the phrase, one another. And so we're to love one another and be kind to one another and, and uh, uh, pray together as one another. It just, uh, over and over again, we see in Scripture this priority on being a community, on being a spiritual family, of joining something bigger than us. And then we see, as well, this idea of self-denial. And I think this is one of the more controversial parts of Christianity. But really, it's assumed that if you come to Christ, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to be somehow giving up something of your self-made identity and joining something bigger than yourself, otherwise known as God. And so, there is a huge priority in the Christian faith that's about community, that's about uh, being together as a people of God, and self-denial. But I think that there's some fears that come along with that message. Uh, I know if you hear, hear people describe church this way, they describe church as organized religion. Have you heard this? They've never been to our church, if that's the case, because we're not very organized. But, um, but there's this idea that, you know, if something's organized, pretty sure it's bad. Because that organization is going to have an agenda, and they're going to try to manipulate you to do what they want you to do. And so people, it seems, in our city are really comfortable with having a, a personal spirituality, but to have a, to, to, to join a religion or a church, and especially if it's organized, that's really, really bad. Uh, the same would be true, forget church, just think of the marketplace. One of the things that uh, we've kind of, I've joked about in the past, is that if you run a business, you never brag that you have a hierarchical organization. You never do that. Nobody's going to come and work at your business. You say you have a flat organization, a minimal organization. Don't worry. You're gonna, it's going to all be about you, and I can, I can promise that. Um, we think even in terms of homes, one of the things that we're, we're so paranoid about, and I think rightly so, is that we're uh, we don't want homes that are too controlling. And so the best kind of homes have minimal rules and, and maximum freedom. And so it seems no matter whether we look in our homes or the marketplace or in church, 
that there is a fear that if there's a bigger organization, something bigger than me, that a number of negative things are going to happen, that I'm going to be manipulated, I'm going to be abused in that place. Uh, they're going to expect me to, to conform to their image, and I'm going I'm to lose myself if I join something bigger. And in those places we fear that we're going to be judged for having a, a different opinion than what other people would think. Or if we have a personal dream or personal ambition, that somehow that's going to be frowned upon. That if you were really in and if you really cared, you'd kind of, you know, throw out your mind and, and do what we say to do. And so there's a, there's a suspicion in our society of the we, of community. So it's easy to swing the pendulum over to the me side. In the West, this is easy. We value freedom. Personal freedom is everything. We believe in self-fulfillment. Uh, I remember listening when my wife and I were involved in our uh, local elementary school and listening to the vice principal say the goal of education for our elementary school kids is to teach them autonomy, is to teach them how to be self-made, self-fulfilled, to have their own mind, to not listen to anybody else but to make their own decisions. This is a society that we grow up in. And if there's one word that characterizes, especially the generation younger than me, it's authenticity. And to be authentic means that I can't do what anybody else says. I have to do what's true to me. And that is the new truth. And whatever, is, whatever my experience is and my understanding, I need to be, I need to be true to that. It's, uh, it's well preached. Personal rights being another huge issue that I have rights. And how dare you ever violate those rights and tell me to do something that I don't want to do. But there are downsides here as well on the me side. That if you fully grab hold of this mentality, I think really we find ourselves being lonely. Not knowing how to walk in humility, how to embrace somebody else's agenda, how to compromise. The downside is that it looks like rebellion and suspicion. And really, it just is pride. And so in the name of freedom, it's easy to be self-centered. So what we want to do tonight is say, how do we value the good side of me the good side of we, in a way that avoids their downsides. Ecclesiastes 7.18 says, It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. And somehow, Scripture values both a me and a we. And how are we going to bring these things together in a way that's healthy and life-giving and fulfilling? What we're going to be doing is looking at three chapters in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. I'm going to read all three chapters to go through each verse line by line. No, I'm not. I'm, going to, uh, I'm just going to highlight uh, one verse inside of each chapter, just seeing if you're awake. Um, and what I think we find in these three chapters 
is three key truths that help us live in the tension of me and we. Before we jump into this, I just need to say, uh, I hope you know, maybe for you this isn't a big deal. It's, uh, I'm part of a local church and I really like it and um, I'm not feeling manipulated or coerced to do anything and you have a really good experience here or if you belong to another church. Uh, this topic is a really big deal. And the primary reason, if you, if you listen to people who, who aren't connected to a local church and trusting in Jesus, the primary problem that you'll, well, there's a number, but one of the primary problems that people have is, I, I, I think I don't mind God but I'm really suspicious of the local church. I'm really suspicious of organized religion. And so one of the biggest barriers to people coming to know and trust in Jesus is what you and I are experiencing right now. This is a barrier. This is not a bridge. And that somehow I'm going to have to join this thing and, and leave my mind at the door, and they're going to brainwash me. I know they are. And they're going to make me smile, and I have to lift up my hands at certain times. I don't have any idea why I do that. And uh, I'm just going to have to become one of them. And in that, I won't be me anymore. And this fear is defining of our culture. And so it's important that you and I work through a healthy understanding of what it means to be a part of a community what it means to be a part of a family or even to have bosses in the workplace uh, and, and have something that we join that's bigger than us, but somehow we don't lose who we are in the process. Are you following me on this? So let's look. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here's what it says. So how are we going to bring together this tension of me and we in a healthy way. Point number one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. And here's what it says. It'll be up on your screen. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The idea here is that uh, Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago. He left. Uh, his spirit then came and infilled a group of people called Christians who are, uh, when Jesus left his, his physical body from earth, now his physical body still remains, and it looks like you and I, the church. We are the ongoing representation of God on earth. We're the body of Christ. And if we look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of, of what Christ did in his body, that's what we're to be doing. We're carrying on his ministry and his work. And it says here that you and I are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. The distinctive uh, quality that separates church from a cult is that the church is built, the unity of the church is built on diversity and not sameness. If you were to be part of a cult, uh, nobody's interested in your ideas. Uh, 
And the primary agenda is to have everybody to conform. And the more that you can be like the person next to you and think like the person next to you and even dress perhaps like that person, that's, that's how much you'll fit in. The unique quality of the church is that it's built, the unity of the church is built on diversity. The very fact that you and I are different is why we need to be together. When I took a, 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 a course in marriage, one of the first courses I took in marriage, I remember uh, Dr. Roy Bell, he's not with us anymore, but I remember this saying, and I just, I've loved it ever since. I heard it 30 years ago, that he says uh, it, about marriage, that when both of you are the same, then one of you isn't needed. That when both of you are the same, then one of you isn't needed. That the, the, uh, what makes marriage so life-giving is not that you choose somebody who's identical to you, who looks just like you and has the same values and everything is that. No, it's actually their differences that require the two of you to be together and to build a life together. Uh, if you know my wife, we're a little different. Just, just, <laughs> just a tiny, tiny little bit different. And I love that I get to do life with my wife. I love that. I love that she's different than me. Uh, first of all, our, life, our home is way more fun because of that. She brings all things fun into our home. Uh, but the same is true in the body of Christ. That some of you, I mean all of us, we have different gifts. We have different personalities. We have different things that we long to see happen. And together, we better reflect the ministry of Jesus Christ. There's no way that any one of us could capture all that Jesus is. And so we say, could we please come together? Could we be a family together, a body together, so that we might better reflect the greatness and splendor and magnificence of Jesus Christ. I need you to be different than me. I'm doing my part, but you need to be doing your part so that together we can more accurately and holistically reveal who God is. So here's the idea. We find our self in the context of community. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it, it goes into great detail talking about different body parts, eyes and feet and, and ears and head. And it says that uh, each one of those is needed and unique and to be valued as part of Christ's body. Now, how, if you can imagine, it's kind of a morbid thought, but imagine an eyeball that's taken out of a body and put on its own. What is that thing? Is that an eye? I would suggest to you that it has the potential to be an eye, but it isn't an eye until it's put in the context of the body. I really believe this, that you and I can't understand our uniqueness and who God has made us to be 
until we're integrated into the body of Christ. If you, uh, you know, imagine a hand, I mean, it's a, it gets morbid really quickly, but imagine a hand being severed from a body. What is that? It seems as though in our society that we think that the way that we'll understand ourselves in our uniqueness and complexity and, and maybe if we're Christians, our, our God-given nature is that we pull away from community and we, we get alone and we say, now who am I? I would suggest to you that is absolutely ridiculous. The best way for you to discover who you are is to get to be part of a family. And what I really enjoy about my natural family is uh, we begin describing one another. Uh, you know, this person is the life of the party, and this person is like this, and this person, man, if you want to have a deep talk, that's who you talk to. And, and you discover who you are by rubbing shoulders with the community that's close to you. I can remember in, uh, when I first became a Christian, I, I grew up in a Baptist church, and I remember uh, going to a youth group. And uh, we had a youth group leader, and I remember the kids coming up to me, I'm just a kid, coming up to me, and they says, you know, I like it better when you explain the Bible passage than when the leader explains the Bible passage. I find it better. Well, that's interesting. And then, uh, I mean, today might be an exception, but some people say, you know, I think you're a teacher. I, I think that there's, you have a way of explaining things that I find to be helpful. Now, how am I going to know that I am that if I'm just on my own? There's no way that I can figure that out. I have to be around you, and you get to tell me who I am. One of the most enjoyable things for me is I get to be around you and discover the uniqueness of who you are. Thrills me to no end. And it's, it's fascinating that the, the deeper I get to know somebody, the more fascinating they become and the more I see the image of God in them. What if you're struggling not knowing who you are what you've been meant to do, what you, why you've been put on this planet, what if the reason why you would be struggling with that is not because you don't have a purpose or because you're not smart enough to figure it out, but maybe it's because you've not come close enough to people to help them reveal who you really are. And maybe if you're lost and feeling not confident in who you are, the solution is not to, to pull away from people and to become more self-confident, but actually to get closer to the family of God and to let those people around you build you up, define you, and say, this is who God has made you to be. That maybe it's coming closer, not farther away, that uh, accomplishes in us that idea of identity. And knowing who we are. Uh, how many, I, I forget because it keeps changing, but maybe you know this statistic better than me. How many times now do people change their careers? Do you know this? Is it like 10 times or something in a matter of a life? 
span. I think it's something like that. Um, why? Well, there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons. But let me give you one. I think there's a whole group of people called the world who are trying to figure out who they are by just trying stuff. Because they don't have a family. They don't have a community that helps them understand who they are. And so they have to just keep trying stuff. And hopefully one of these times it's going to become meaningful. Let's hope number 10 will, you know, do it for me. It's a product of an individualistic society that we keep moving around. I'm not saying that's the only issue, of course, but I think it's one of them. So, the irony of, let's just talk about Christian community. The irony of Christian community is that if you let yourself join what we call a spiritual family, you would discover more about yourself and grow in self-confidence and have a clear life direction if you joined that. That's point number one. Point number two. That's our diversity. We would discover our diversity in the context of community. Point number two is, okay, we have diversity now, but what's going to unite us? This moves us into chapter 13. If you've uh, ever been to a Christian wedding, you might have heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13 being quoted because it gives an amazing, verses 4 to 7, give an amazing description of what love is. It's the love chapter. Here's how that chapter ends. It says, everything should be done. Uh, whoops. First uh, Corinthians 13. But these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The Christian church is as diverse as the number of people who are in it. Just shocking diversity. Shocking diversity. Um, one of the things that I remember studying is how many spiritual gifts they are. And it depends what school of thought you're in. And it gets really complicated and tiring. But some people say there's 27 gifts. And other people say there's 12. And it goes on and on. Um, I think there's a billion. That's, that's what I think. And I think that what the Bible does is it describes 27. It's like a rainbow. It describes 27 colors to give you a picture of the vastness of a rainbow and of the presence of God's spirit in his community. But I think at the end of the day, that rainbow is as full as as many colors as there are here people among us. And it's a beautiful thing. But in that diversity, how are we going to be united? Now, this is a bit of a trick. If you're going to try to be a community that values diversity, what is going to be our unity? What's going to be the thing that would pull us together that would allow that diversity to shine and to be even useful beyond just personal fulfillment? And this verse tells us that, that we have three things in common, a common faith, a common hope, and a common love. And the greatest of these, believe it or not, is the love. We have a common faith. We come together as believers in Jesus Christ, in our Heavenly Father, in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we have a common faith. It unites us. 
You wouldn't know that sometimes. I think there's 14,000 denominations. Sometimes it seems to, our faith seems to divide us, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, it does unite us. And we're here because we believe in a common God. Not ourselves. Jesus Christ. We have a common hope. My hope is your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's my hope. And it is a hope. It's not a reality yet. There's not a lot of his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's the hope that we rally around. That there's a, there's a coming king, his name is Jesus, and he's going to establish his love and authority on earth in its fullness. I want to be part of that. And we have a common love. Our unity is the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. Here's the tension in that. As soon as, so in our church, we say it really succinctly that we multiply, our purpose is the great commandment and the great commission. We multiply disciples who love God, one another, and the world. That's what we rally around as a church community because we think that's what all church communities should rally around. We're not trying to be special. But here's the problem. Um, you might feel compromised in your self-fulfillment by joining that unified purpose. The thing that I think about is I think about having kids. I have never heard anybody say after they've taken a personality test or strength finders or um, spiritual gift survey, or I've never found anybody that says they have the gift of changing diapers. I've never seen that. I don't know of anybody who said that. But if you're going to raise children, you're going to change some diapers. And uh, you don't say to your little baby, excuse me, but when I, I mean, you stink. And uh, I, when I change it, I don't feel personally fulfilled uh, when I do that. I don't feel it's my calling. I, 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 took, I took a survey and changing diapers wasn't in there. And so I'm sorry that you smell, but it's just, it's just not my calling. It's not my gifting. And I just, I, I just don't have a piece about it. <clears throat> That's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. And so, somehow, the church is about doing something that we all do, and maybe is hard sometimes, and doing some things that are unique and more special to who God has made you to be. One of the things that we say in our church, because we believe that the Bible teaches it, is that there is no gift of discipleship. We all invest in other people. Everybody does. The way that you do that will be according to your gifting and personality and strengths. Absolutely. You'll do it in a unique way. But you still need to do it because that's what Christians do. But let me offer to you that if you don't join the thing that's common 
the thing that's special and unique about you will be wasted. Uh, Pastor Rice Brooks is one of the uh, founders of Every Nation. That's the denomination that we're a part of, Every Nation Churches and Ministries. And uh, in Every Nation, there's lots of, uh, there's lots of athletes. Uh, some of them were in the you know, NBA and NFL and those kinds of things, right? And so uh, we have in our movement a number of chaplains to different uh, uh, football teams and the like. And one of the things that they tell athletes, professional athletes, is there's nothing more sad than an ex-athlete, professional athlete. Because they're living 10, 20 years ago. They got nothing going on now. They're just remembering the glory days. There's nothing sadder than you trying to be self-actualized. There's nothing sadder. I'm trying to become self-fulfilled. What if you join something bigger than you and your fulfillment wouldn't just come out of your uniqueness, although we've already established that's important, but your fulfillment would come out of participating in something that's bigger and greater than anything you could experience on your own. What if that was true? What if you would be more fulfilled changing diapers than you would playing your favorite musical instrument or singing or whatever it would be that you do well and that's unique about you? What if our society has lied to us and said the only time you're fulfilled is if you're doing something that's unique to you? The most fulfilling thing that I do is generic, not unique. I'm a dad. There's millions of us. I'm just one of them. I'm not even a particularly good one. I'm just one of them. And that is the most fulfilling part of my life. And so not only is the unique calling that God has given me fulfilling, the generic calling is equally fulfilling. I would even say more so. Teaching thing, whatever. I'm going to get old pretty soon and not going to want to listen to me anymore. But uh, I get to be a dad until I die. That's going to be fun. So Christianity is built on unity. Uh, the unity of Christianity is built on diversity. But our unity is to have a common faith, a common hope, and primarily a common love. That we love God, we love a community, and we love the lost. And that gives us identity belonging to that. Point number three, our final point, is how can we hold this tension of me and we, of unity and diversity, of having unique gifts, yet having a generic calling? How do we hold this tension between the two? The answer, I think, at least part of the answer, comes in chapter 14. So chapter 12 is all about how we're unique and we need to honor that. Chapter 13 is, says, it begins by saying, I will show you a more excellent way. And it's all about love. That's what unites us. That's what really gives us purpose. It's not just doing what we've been made specially to do, but loving God and loving others, loving the lost. 
how then chapter 14 comes along after talking about diversity and unity, recognizing the tension of those two, goes into quite a bit of detail about how to work that out, but it ends in a very interesting way. In verse 40 of chapter 14, it says, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Me and we, unique and generic, um, being public and private. These two things need to work themselves up. The uniqueness of who you are, yet belonging to something bigger than yourself. There needs to be order in that. It's not just everybody going off and doing their own thing. We need to work together in commonality. The implication of that is a difficult thing to talk about in its leadership. In, the, uh, in verse 36 to 38, listen to how Paul talks. So it's all looking really beautiful. It's, uh, don't, you're all diverse in your eyes and ears, and it's really, really beautiful, the diversity. You're a rainbow of color. And uh, what's going to unite us all is love. Isn't that special? And then here's how he ends in verse 14 before he kind of changes topics. He says, did the word of God originate with you? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. And if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Wow, you're just doing so well talking about love. And now it looks like he's doing this power play that if you ignore what I say, I'm going to ignore you. Na -na 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 -na, you know. <clears throat> What's going to allow a me and a we to coexist and for us to experience that tension together is if we respect leaders and come under some kind of authority structure. It is impossible for unity and diversity to thrive in a church without leadership. It is impossible for unity and diversity to thrive in the workplace without bosses. It's impossible for unity and diversity to thrive in the home without parents. And if we want to experience walking in fulfillment and our life calling, it requires us to somehow come under authority. It requires that. Here's my concern, is that our fears of authority, of losing our identity, of losing our individuality, our fears push us away from true fulfillment and true love. And so in our fear of needing to be, I'm speaking especially as Westerners, in our fear of being swallowed up by, by a community, we fight for our individuality and we do one of two things. You've heard me say this a lot. We either, in our reaction, we either push them away or we try to manipulate what's going on. It's because we're afraid. You go, I don't need any of you. I'm going to go to another church, a better church, with better preachers and better music. and They're going to understand my uniqueness and who I really am. They will. Good luck with that. 
Or I'm going to come in, I'm going to tell you just how gifted I am and that you should recognize me better. And if you don't, I'm out of here. It takes faith in Jesus Christ to let yourself come into a community and trust that you'll find personal fulfillment there. It takes trust in God to join something that you're not leading. It just does. It does. I can remember a small example, but it's meaningful to me because it's my life. And uh, I've joined every nation. And, and when every nation first started, it's only 25 years old. It's a really, really young movement. But it was started by a bunch of people who knew each other. I didn't know any of them. And so I committed this movement. I have a, I have a doctoral degree. Uh, I specialize in, in leadership development and in discipleship. I have a degree in theology. And I really, really care about these things. And I love it. And I come into this movement, and nobody knows who I am or even cares. And so I love the Bible. I love preaching. I love studying and writing materials, and I just love all of that stuff. And nobody cares. And then I have to go, all right, this is my family. I know God called me here. They don't know me, not sure they care. Cool. Cool. And I have one friend, one friend in the whole movement. And uh, I'm, at a, I'm at a conference, and he goes, Greg, um, there's a bunch of guys who are going to be uh, creating Bible school material for the whole movement. And uh, I thought you wouldn't mind sitting in on that meeting. So I've asked... Uh, Steve Murrell, who's now the president, of, uh, he says, I asked if, uh, if you could join that meeting. Is that okay? And it's like, well, I think so. And it's like, yeah, that's all I have. Yes. And so he invites me into a meeting, and I get to sit with the leaders of the movement and spend the next three years writing curriculum that goes around the world uh, for in-house Bible schools for every nation. That then was called Morningstar. Super fun. Super fun. But there's a gap between super fun and what was your name again? There was a gap between those two things. And that gap is called the gap of faith. Am I going to fight to be known? Am I going to fight for my rights? Am I going to demand that my uniqueness be respected? Or am I going to come in as a servant and let myself join and trust my father to place me and do with me what would be best for all concerned? Me and we come together in faith, trusting that your heavenly Father works through imperfect leaders in imperfect communities and still enables you to find abundant life where you are. And that is the journey that we are invited into that satisfies the tension between me and we. Not finding the perfect community, not finding the perfect leaders, not doing perfect self-development, although all of those things are valuable. 
It's learning how to trust Jesus that if I join his kingdom and lay down my life and make it about something other than me, that he will move me into a place that's more fulfilling and more life-giving than I could ever imagine. In conclusion, have you, I got three questions for you. Have you joined God's family? Have you joined this family? If you've been here for a while, you've know, you know my imperfections and the imperfections of our leadership team. And if you don't know them, you know, I'll take you out for coffee. I'll tell you all about us. <laughs> It'll be long, though, so. Have you let your heart, doesn't matter whether you're just here or whether you've been here for years, have you let your heart join here? this messy group called the church. Have you let your heart join? You can attend for a super long time. In your home, let's leave the church behind for a moment. In your home, youth obviously, have you let yourself connect in your home? Or are you waiting until you can get some freedom and get out of here? Just a couple more years, then I can do what I want to do. Are you waiting for that? You are missing family. You're missing family. And don't imagine that you graduate beyond family. It doesn't happen. Have you let your heart join your family? In your workplace... Is your work just about your self-fulfillment? And it's just, you, you have it all mapped out, and this is the next step forward, is to work for this company who specializes in this, and you need that on your resume so that you can take your next step forward into your amazing destiny? Or have you let yourself join your workplace? This is my company. Yeah, there's a few above me, but this is my company. And I'm going to make this company great. And whatever they ask me to do, I'm in because this is my company. God's called me here. And I receive it as mine. This isn't about my self-fulfillment. This is about making this company great. And I'm going to let my heart join here. And there's going to be people who are going to misunderstand me. They're going to take advantage of me. They're going to use me. I totally get that. And I trust in my heavenly father that he's bigger than all that. And I'm going to let my heart join. That was question number one. Question number two. If you have joined in your church, your home, your work, do you know what you contribute? Do you know that you're valued here? Do you know that you're valued here? You go, ah, I just show up. I don't know. I just, I guess I volunteer at something. I don't know. I think that we can fully underestimate the gift that we are to a community. And there's a, especially if you're Canadian, but uh, maybe other cultures, I hear Filipinos are similar too, there can be a false humility. It says, ah, I'm just a blank. Ah, I just, ah, I just, no. 
I have been built by God to participate. And I don't apologize for that. That's not arrogance. That's humility. I want to be a part of this, and I want to give myself. Do you know your part in your home, in your work, in your church community? Do you know your value? Let yourself receive that. That's humble to do that. That's not proud. And finally, are you motivated by love and faith, or are you motivated by fear? I watch kids motivated by fear in how they relate to their parents. I watch employees motivated by fear in how they relate to their employers. I watch church members be motivated by fear in how they relate to leadership. And it steals away love and faith and thereby steals away abundant life. Meaning, purpose, joy, peace, connection steals all of that away because I'm keeping you at arm's distance. It's a transactional relationship. And there's me and there's you. There is no we, except to the degree that it benefits me. It takes faith to drop our guard and to say we. One of the most fun things, if the worship team could come up, one of the most fun things that I enjoy is listening to somebody new to our church community. And they begin by saying, what is your church like? When does your church do this? Or how does your, what does your church think about this? And then as they begin to be a part of this family, they start saying, our church. When are we? That is so fun for me. Not because we need people to be part of this church, but because somebody has let themselves join something bigger than themselves, risking me for a we through faith in God. And I pray that in that vulnerability, we discover the life-giving reality of God's Spirit that will flow in us and through us. Let's stand together. Father, each one of us here has stories of giving our heart away and it being trampled on. Every one of us here has stories of how we've been hurt by leaders. We've been hurt by communities and businesses and authoritarian parents or absent parents. We have story after story of how we has been a bad idea. Father, I ask that you would give us the courage to bring our me into a we again and to trust that as we do it in faith, hope, and love, as we do it in faith, hope, and love, that we would discover you in that place and that you would define us that you would lift us up, that you would connect us. Our faith is in you, not in human institutions or, or people. Our faith is in you. Please, for each one here, I ask that you would knit together into their heart a me and a we, believing that
that as we join your community, our identity isn't lost, it's found.